Chicago-based Boeing expands its search for structural defects on 787 Dreamliners. And Emily Drake and Todd Connor write the Chicago Comes Back column each week for Cranes. You know, whoever was building, you know, plexiglass partitions for retail spaces <laughs> pre-pandemic had a great year. Whoever was doing work in uh, ultra-cold storage logistics um, is having a great year. Today, they join the podcast to talk about two of their recent columns, one about the role startups play in Chicago's economic recovery, and the other about making the opposite of New Year's resolutions. And nobody's asking to really, like, you know, disembark for what you're doing in totality, but really just thinking about ways your, your skill set can be applied to some of the issues that we're seeing and giving it a shot. Like, go bold. Why not? I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist. It's Tuesday, December 15th. At Chicago's bank, Wintrust knows small businesses are important to our local economy and the well-being of our community. From diners to bookstores, auto repair shops to antique dealers, and everything in between, local companies make our area special and provide jobs in our community. Join Wintrust in shopping small this holiday season and supporting local businesses through a challenging year. Connect with Wintrust on Facebook to shout out your favorite local businesses. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi there, and welcome to Crane's Daily Just Live, brought to you by Wintrust. I'm joined by Emily Drake and Todd Connor. They write the Chicago Comes Back column, where they provide leadership insights to help businesses move forward as we move through the pandemic. Emily and Todd, welcome back to the show. Good to see you both. So let's get started by talking about one of your recent columns, and that is all about how startups factor into the recovery. In particular, you talked with a veteran entrepreneur and investor about Chicago startup scene. What did you learn from him? Yeah, so we had a conversation with Mark Tebby, who has actually started uh, and listed two NASDAQ listed technology companies. And, and he teaches at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, my alma mater, and does a number of things with uh, Chicago Next and 1871 and a lot of the great organizations that we have in Chicago that are supporting entrepreneurs. And of course, you know, my passion is, is helping entrepreneurs as well. Part of my role in, in having started Bunker Labs, which works specifically with military veterans uh, that are starting businesses as well as military spouses. So um, so we've got some touch points, Emily, as well, in, into the entrepreneurship community. And we were really interested in what's sort of the forecast for startups. And startups in our lexicon is a little bit of a different conversation than small business owners, which Emily and I have written about in the past. Small business owners are facing, uh, you know, incredible hurdles right now, particularly in under-resourced communities, disinvested communities, um, and we've written about that. We're going to continue talking and writing about that. Startups, though, in our lexicon are a little bit different. These are the companies that uh, maybe haven't uh, generated money yet, but they are in the process of starting. Maybe they're seeking outside capital. Uh, they're looking for venture capitalists to invest. Um, and we wondered, like, what's the climate for those companies? And, and really, the answer from Mark is it's an optimistic one. It's a positive one. You know, his argument is that the, the fundamentals in Chicago really haven't changed. And three I'll call out in particular. One is uh, we're just a great city. You know, it, we're, it's a great place to live. The cost of living is low. The, the cultural assets are numerous. We have great infrastructure. Uh, we have great transportation systems that make this sort of a hub of, of activity. Uh, if you want to be, you know, someone that moves here after college and works, the second argument that he makes uh, is really just our locus of talent. So number one is it's a great place to live. Number two is we have great talent. 
Chicago, I didn't know this, is the largest um, uh, home to more Big Ten graduates than not only any other city in the world, but all other cities combined. Chicago houses more of them post, post-college. And that's a tremendous asset. If you're a company looking to come here, be it a startup or, or a Fortune 500 or large corporate, having that access to a young, smart talent pool, Big Ten educated, is, is a huge resource, not to mention other university systems that are around. And then the third argument is that um, Chicago continues to be a dominant place for, um, for large companies to come in either headquarter or create second headquarters. And that creates, we don't talk about this enough, but that creates real opportunities for startups. Those kinds of startups, you know, we think of startups as typically being B2C companies like Airbnb or Uber, but a lot of the venture-backed companies that are going to be successful are B2B. They're selling to large companies, uh, large corporates like Allstate or Aon. And so having those companies headquartered in Chicago um, creates a, a great opportunity for, uh, for entrepreneurs that want to start businesses. So, those, so some of the, you know, some of the reasons, but really it's about the fundamentals and the fundamentals for Chicago uh, have not changed. And that's why this is a place that we love to call home. And it's, it's a great place also to, uh, to start a business. What has the pandemic done to that startup climate or maybe like the appetite of entrepreneurs wanting to start, uh, you know, start a venture right now? Have, have you seen that kind of dampened or accelerated or what's it done? I mean, from my vantage point, the I can I don't even have enough fingers on my hands to count the number of people who are making audacious moves and launching right now. Um, now, the people that I'm talking to are maybe not looking yet for venture backed funding. So being part of an ecosystem, I think we'll have to wait till 2021 to see how those folks kind of embed themselves in the community. But the ideas are there. They're using their own money to get started. Um, certainly the, the folks that I know that have started businesses focused on products are thriving right now in the holiday season. People are really making choices to support local and to support small. Um, and so I think it'll be interesting to look into next year in terms of how they sustain. Uh, there is a real appetite, I think, among consumers that I'm seeing um, of just sort of like wanting to do the right thing in the holiday season and the right thing is not exempt from, you know, the consumerism that we have. So that's, that's been my experience. Todd, I don't know if you'd add anything to that. Talking on the human dimension, people have been tested. You know, we were speaking about this before, uh, before we went live, you know, people are really being tested and, and some of their historic employment relationships, in some cases uh, they're being let go. Uh, they're being downsized. They're being moved into sort of, you know, contractor relationships or relationships that to them feel more fragile. And in some cases, um, they're just looking at the, the their current situation and saying, you know what, life is short and this job isn't sort of for me. And so uh, even though we live in uh, tumultuous times, we are seeing, to Emily's point, people making bold moves and, and really asking themselves, you know, what am I here to do professionally for the duration of my career? And so, um, yeah, so even though it's in some ways a cautionary time, a lot of folks are really reassessing the decisions that they've made professionally and looking to make bold moves. And I think a lot of that speaks to opportunity uh, as an entrepreneur, which is, uh, which is a move that a lot of folks are making right now. And as you were talking to Mark Tebby, was there any specific advice that he had for entrepreneurs right now or maybe thinking of taking that kind of move? Yeah, I mean, I think his view is sort of take the long view uh, and, you know, be a, be a good entrepreneur, regardless of what you do. Um, you know, the fundamentals of how to be an entrepreneur sort of are immutable. It's work hard, stay focused, make sure that you've got a value proposition for a customer that really needs it. Um, and, and really for, for the entrepreneur that's, that's heads up in this moment, there's a lot of opportunity because there's a lot of disruption. You know, whoever was building, you know, plexiglass partitions 
um, for retail spaces <laughs> pre-pandemic had a great year. Uh, you know, who could have thought, you know, whoever's manufacturing N95 masks and whoever was doing work in uh, ultra cold storage logistics um, is having a great year. You know, so there are these silver linings, some of which we might have forecasted, others of which um, are coming as surprises. You know, even things like people in the packaging space that are seeing sort of the secondary impacts of, of their service offering in this uh, day and age. People that are obviously Zoom, right, had a phenomenal year. But there are other offshoots of, uh, of those kinds of businesses. There's some clear winners in this environment, but really the fundamental changes around how we're going to or if we're going to show up for work what that looks like, and therefore, what are the business opportunities associated? So, you know, disruption yields opportunities, and we're in a time of disruption, and those opportunities can be realized by entrepreneurs that are really um, thinking, right, about what does this mean for how business is going to be conducted uh, in the future, and what can I build now to meet that opportunity? Emily, what would you add to that in terms of where entrepreneurs should be kind of putting their focus right now? I was thinking about taking what you know you're great at if you are currently working in an environment, have sort of what you define as like a nine to five or a nine to nine uh, job and thinking about what you're great at in terms of a skill set and thinking about where there's an issue or where there's somewhere you can plug in um, to be part of the solution, whether it's solving for a relational issue, which is kind of what the Collective Academy does. It's all about relationships. Um, or it's solving for a very discrete issue. You know, we know entrepreneurs, family-owned businesses who, you know, chipped in to be a part of a supply chain problem in Detroit. You know, so there's, there's all, we all need to be thinking um, about sort of like, where do we want to plug in and be a part of the solution? And it can be really simple. We talked last time about service and how it can feel like, oh, giving is so much more effort. I've got so much on my plate. And nobody's asking to really like, you know, disembark for what you're doing in totality, but really just thinking about ways your, your skill set can be applied to some of the issues that we're seeing and giving it a shot, like go bold. Why not? I think that's a good moment to transition to the other column that I want to talk about. And that is, uh, I was very excited to see this because I have many feelings on the topic, but it is the idea of flipping New Year's resolutions on its head and moving into dissolutions, things you are not going to do or things you're going to deprioritize, which I think is very interesting both personally and professionally. I've seen people apply that personally and say, you know, this year I'm going to not do X, I'm going to quit doing whatever. But to apply that in a business setting, I think, puts a whole new light on it that is really compelling, especially in the moment that we're in. It is compelling. And, and it isn't the obvious task. I think when we think about sort of strategic planning, if we think about, um, let's take the organizational lens first. If we think about how companies sort of plan for the year ahead, it's often uh, around goals that they're setting, initiatives that they're launching. Uh, it's around aspirations that they have as it relates to revenues or maybe new markets or maybe new uh, client segments. It's additive, though. That whole conversation feels additive. And what we don't often do, because it doesn't frankly feel as, as uh, exciting, is sort of say, what do we stop doing this year? And I think, you know, strategic companies and by extension, I think strategic individuals are thinking about what are the core sets of things that we can just stop doing um, that we built for an era in which we no longer live uh, or that you know, no longer serves us and uh, commensurate with a planning process or a visioning process or a New Year's resolution process, we should be thinking about what comes off? What do we stop? Where can we save? Uh, at what meetings no longer serve us? What, what meetings are too frequent? Uh, what reports could we just let go of? Um, that kind of process uh, and conversation isn't as intuitive, but I'll tell you, it, it can absolutely be 
as exhilarating for organizations as it can be for individuals. If you go to a team and, and we've done this exercise numerous times, hey, if you had a wish list of things that we could stop doing, you know, it's amazing. Someone will suggest, you know, look, that standing ops meeting, um, I don't even see the point. We already provide the information. It's, it's on, it's, we have it on Slack. You know, it just eats an hour of our time. And there's 12 of us in that meeting and all 12 people will be like, you know what? I had the exact same thought, but I didn't want to be the one to say it. Those kinds of discoveries uh, are, are gold. You know, it builds credibility with the people that we lead. It, it gives us time back. It creates more efficiency in our processes. So those kinds of conversations, I think New Year's is a great time to have it, whether organizationally or individually, which maybe Emily can speak to. Uh, and so, yeah, we frame that as New Year's dissolutions. And if anything of this year taught us, it's that, you know, we don't need to keep doing all the things that we've been doing. Uh, we talked about, you know, going to an office. You know, we get to sort of have the data of what it means to not go to an office and therefore have a better and informed conversation about whether or not we actually need to do that, right? But we can come at that conversation more informed. So uh, yeah, New Year's is a, is a great opportunity to think of uh, things to dissolve. Yeah. And there was yeah. a point you made in the, in the column, Emily, that I thought was really interesting about how we really don't put a lot of effort on talking about endings, which I thought was very, very poignant and interesting. Yeah. It, it, in my experience, especially when people are ending, let's say a job to be promoted into the next one or even departing, right. An organization. And in a season of, you know, unfortunately a lot of unemployment, um, there's, there's, there's some sense of like, let's just get this over with. Um, and it's hard because typically with endings, there's grief and a chance to reflect and a chance to really honor what an experience has meant to you. Um, and I know we're going to talk about kind of what's coming up next in the column, um, but really sort of taking that stock and saying what you need to say. You know, we just talked about being bold with business ideas and bold with starting things and bold with, you know, not sort of holding back on, on a, a well-placed thank you, um, a well-placed apology, a well-placed um, just sentiment that needs to be shared. And I think endings, uh, especially of a year, I mean, everything that's coming into my inbox is like, hey, we don't have much more to tell you except like keep going, words of encouragement, you know, we're not going to bombard you with new product launches. We're not going to bombard you with, you know, we're really going to just honor this time. December, we're a winter starts next week. You know, this is a season of hibernation on purpose. Um, so honoring that to the best of our ability, knowing that people have children to tend to, there's year end results, still all of that. I think very close to that is something you alluded to, Todd. And that was when one person brings it up, suddenly everyone's going, oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. So I think let's spend a minute with that. What about that thing you want to bring up of a thing you want to end of like this meeting doesn't work or this project is really kind of a dud or whatever it is, you know, in your workplace and with your team that you maybe want to, if not end, maybe deprioritize a little bit. How do you become the person to bring that up when you feel a lot of anxiety around there? How do you troubleshoot that? Well, this is, uh, this is what we call a, a difficult conversation. And it, it comes, uh, you know, to have a difficult conversation and to do it in, a, in the best way possible is to really come with curiosity. If we come into any conversation predetermined, um, it's really not a conversation. It's a decision that's being communicated. It's one way. You know, this is how I feel and, and that's it. Uh, if we come into conversations curious, uh, we can get to better outcomes. And uh, I think historically, uh, leaders have assumed I've got to sort of come with answers and communicate the answers 
and the visual is sort of top down, right? It's like, I've got the answer and I'm communicating the answer to you. And, you know, we think a better model of leadership is to sort of come curious, um, come curious. And if, if we can anchor on the goal, right? Because the goal isn't, we need to get back to the office. The goal is we want to have a strong, healthy culture that serves clients. Okay, well then let's start on that goal and then let's sort of reverse engineer into some of these micro decisions that need to be made, like when to come to the office or if to come to the office. And by the way, the answer might be, yeah, we're back to the office five, if not seven days a week, or the answer may be we're going to allow people to decide, or the answer may be we're all going to work from home. So um, I think the key is to sort of anchor on, on sort of shared goals, shared vision as to what success is, and then come curious into conversations. And I think leaders have been rattled this year. It's been a challenging time. Leaders have been asked to come with answers uh, for situations that they don't have answers for, such as when will the pandemic end, such as uh, what's going to be our role to play in helping our customers come back, such as what's our contribution to racial equity or our lack of contribution, right? Uh, and so we really think, and we've talked about this, that leaders have a job now more than ever to facilitate conversations, ask questions, not necessarily come with answers, but to be stewards and to create spaces where these conversations can be had. And I think curiosity becomes an important uh, input towards that. Sound, sound advice. All right. So what's coming up in the column ahead this week? We are going to honor this year-end experience, and we must, uh, by sort of looking back and offering readers and ourselves, frankly, a chance to do practice what we preach, which is what have we learned? Um, Todd just mentioned, you know, sort of principles over personalities when it comes to decision making at work. You know, we've talked a lot about values. We've talked a lot about doing the inner work. Um, and so we're going to round up uh, lessons we've learned and offer it for discussion. And I would say whoever's reading um, and thinking about this, we'd love to hear, too, what what you would add. Um, it would be so great at the end of this year to collect all of the Chicago leaders together and say, give me one lesson and see if we can distill it down to like the Ten Commandments of 2020, because we do want to go through this together and live through it together and learn together. So that's what folks can expect. That is going to be a highly read link right there <laughs> for sure. Highly shared. I know it. Thank you both. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure to talk with you. And of course, thanks to Deputy Digital Editor Sarah Zimmerman, who produced this live stream remotely, and to Wintrust, our sponsor. Coming up, Facebook looks to shed its Wacker Drive office, making it the latest in a batch of companies trying to unload downtown workspace amid the COVID-19 crisis. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Thompson Coburn LLP is a national law firm whose Chicago attorneys have represented some of Chicago's largest public and privately held companies in a variety of corporate and litigation legal matters. Thompson Coburn attorneys deliver exceptional legal guidance to publicly and closely held businesses, financial institutions, and sole and family proprietorships across nearly every major industry and business sector. Thompson Coburn is all about total commitment to its clients, its people, and its community. Remember, that your business deserves legal advisors and litigators who are totally committed to your success. You're listening to Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Boeing has expanded inspections of newly built 787 Dreamliner planes to search for additional manufacturing defects that could prematurely age the jet's carbon fiber frames. 
While U.S. regulators say that doesn't pose an immediate hazard, the emergence of another flaw in Boeing's most advanced jetliner is slowing deliveries and raising doubts about quality controls. The latest issue involves tiny variances in the interior lining where composite fuselage barrels are linked to create the Dreamliner structure. According to a statement from Boeing, in some instances, the so-called join, quote, may not meet skin flatness tolerances. The Chicago-based plane maker has asked suppliers to review their processes too, adding that, quote, certain items had come to light as it ramped up its quality assurance program over the last 12 months. Boeing is inspecting 787s in factories as well as newly built planes that are awaiting delivery, and both Boeing and the FAA are reviewing data to determine the best course of action for Dreamliners that are already in service. Several members of the Pritzker family are donating 10 million bucks each to fund workforce training programs at the Discovery Partners Institute, which, as you might recall from earlier episodes of Crane's Daily Gist, is the planned tech center in the South Loop from the University of Illinois. The money will be used for programs that give school-aged children in Chicago better tech skills and provide retraining for workers who are already in the workforce. The Pritzker's donation will create the Pritzker Tech Talent Labs at DPI, which will be led by Omawale Cassell. CEO of Digital Adventures, which runs STEM classes for local kids. The goal is to train 7,000 people per year, including 3,000 people from underrepresented communities, by 2029. And job training was a key part of the economic development plan for DPI that helped convince Governor J.B. Pritzker to support $235 million in state funding for the project, which was championed by his predecessor, former Governor Bruce Rauner. Verano Holdings, one of Chicago's largest cannabis firms, intends to go public just nine months after a planned sale fell apart. Much like its Chicago cannabis brethren, Green Thumb Industries and Cresco Labs did, Verano plans to go public on the Canadian Stock Exchange through a reverse takeover of an existing public company in hopes of raising about $75 million. That according to an investor presentation that was reviewed by Cranes. So marijuana companies can't list on the U.S. exchanges because weed is still illegal for federally, but the deal would value Verano at nearly $2.9 billion, which is more than three times what it would have gotten if the original sale to Harvest Health and Rec had gone through. If the offering works out, which it hopes to close later this month, it would further set Chicago's status as a weed business hub, as three of the eight biggest publicly traded growers and sellers make their headquarters here in Chicago. Cranes reporter John Pletz has the story. Cannabis has been one of the few growth stories of 2020. So, We've got four more states that voted in November to legalize recreational marijuana. Verano, like some of the other companies, operates in many of these states. So this is a sign that money is flowing toward a growing industry. Facebook is aiming to unload more than a quarter of its Chicago office space, leading a handful of companies that added nearly 200,000 square feet to the downtown sublease market just over the past week alone. In one of the largest downtown sublease listings this year, the social media giant is offering up its more than 100,000 square foot office on North Wacker, which it's leased through the end of 2022. That, according to a marketing flyer from Cushman and Wakefield. And that office, it should be noted, is separate from the more than two 
250,000 square foot space that Facebook recently completed at 151 North Franklin. But in any case, the company is now trying to offload the Wacker Drive space alongside other companies that are looking to cut back during the pandemic, adding to a record-setting amount of office space on the secondary market downtown, as many companies rethink their office needs entirely after months of operating with remote workers. Five million square feet of downtown offices were available for sublease as of late November, that according to data from CBRE. And that's 80% more than it was at the beginning of 2020 and represents 3.4% of all office inventory downtown, which is the highest share in the 15 years that CBRE has monitored the data. And that's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Our continuous news feed lives at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guests, Emily Drake and Todd Connor. Be sure to subscribe to these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to find your audio on demand. And find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.